Welcome back to the Content Lab, the podcast for all things content marketing. I'm John Becker, co-host here with Liz Moorhead. Good morning, Liz. Hi, how are you? I just said good morning and it's not morning. You know what? Um, the one thing I've learned through quarantine is that time is 100% a social construct. Um, I It feels like one long day. I generally have no idea what time it is. I'm convinced we're just living in a month now that's like Gen Tembuary. Like, I don't <laughs> know when I am. I don't even know how I am, but like when I am is like, I don't know. So yeah. let's just say, you know what? And good day to you, Susan. Yeah, good day to you. <laughs> how are you this fine morning, afternoon, evening? Ah, well, I'm great. It is like 75 degrees and beautiful here I'm in ready. Connecticut, um, which we've, I think we've earned it. You know, we, we deserve this. I'm yeah. glad, we're, uh, glad we're getting the weather we finally deserve. I know. I really love pressing my face against the glass like a, like a <laughs> lemur in a zoo going, look, the sun shines out there. It's so awesome over there. No, I'm, I will admit, I am someone who flourishes in cold gray weather. I just do. Like, that is my thriving time. <laughs> and it was getting a bit much even for me. Like, I'm not even kidding. I was telling a girlfriend of mine recently that, like, I find it is best to start dating a guy when it's colder. Because by the time the, like, hot months come around and I look like a fiery, frizzy, angry tomato, it's like, sorry, sucker, you're already here. You're in. You're in the door. <laughs> but for even for me right now, I'm feeling good. I like the sunshine. This is nice. It's not too hot. It doesn't feel like summer yet. It just feels pleasant. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, uh, as you know, I just saved my cat from uncertain death. Mm. Um, or is it certain death? I don't certain know. Certain death. Certain death. Sure. You know what? It's really great to make people feel confident that I am the editorial director by just <laughs> screwing up words left and right. But well, yeah. it wasn't certain death because pumpkin's not dead. She's so, not, well, that's, yeah. that's always a positive. So, so far we've talked about the weather and, un, and cats who aren't dead. What's our third topic for today? Actually a little <laughs> bit richer and a little, a little bit more relevant. A little less morbid. Um, so today's topic actually is, is really, comes from a spring, it's sort of springboarded from something that, that you said in a meeting list last week. And it stuck with me so much so that I thought it could be a, a sort of jumping off point, a, a, a toss-up sort of question for us to discuss here in our podcast. And you said uh, that you were encountering or, or you were aware of that conflict between what we want to write and what we should write. Mm -hmm. And that felt like such a weighty statement that it stuck with me ever since. And I asked you yesterday if we could, uh, if we could discuss it today. So um, I want to start by just asking you to explain that a little bit, little bit more, what you meant and what you think that means for content managers. So here's the thing. We are in the business essentially as, and I'm talking to content managers who have to wrangle content out of themselves and others. Um, people who are listening to this because under duress, they are being asked to create content or you're a digital marketer who's really just getting into this. And when I say there is a conflict between what you want to be writing about and what your audience actually needs from you, what I mean is when your ideal buyers come to you and they have questions, they want you to answer a specific question. They are coming to you with a specific set of fears, goals, 
those goals might be mandated from somebody else who's putting pressure on them. There might be fears attached to it. For example, a VP of marketing is looking for a great strategy, not to just to drive revenue, but to keep their job. So they're coming to you with a very specific set of expectations. And in their words, they can say to you things like, this is the question I'm asking. This is exactly why I'm asking it. And then the follow-up, which people tend to ignore mentally when they're planning out the content is there's always a little note where they go, and this is exactly what I need from you to feel like you have thoroughly answered my question. But what often happens is we run into situations where content marketers, content creators, digital marketers, salespeople who know where the conversation is supposed to go will leapfrog over all of that information and instead turn into a little politician. Like, you know, when you watch the talking head shows on news networks and the journalist will ask a question and you will just watch a politician flagrantly, like just like with flourish, just absolutely no regard, not even trying to hide it, essentially saying, so this is the question you asked and this is the question I want to answer. I'm not gonna focus on your question, we're going to talk about what I want to talk about. It's actually For, pretty amazing to watch. It, it's, it's like, it is so beautiful. Like yeah. it is an art form to do that and to do so with impunity. And so when you have yourself as a content marketer who starts doing that in your content, like you've got a big problem because how do we feel as an audience when we're watching those politicians do that? We roll our eyes. We do not trust them. We feel that they are in it for themselves. They're not trying to actually teach us anything. And that is the feeling people can very easily and accidentally inspire in their own audience through their content. But often it's not from a nefarious standpoint like a politician. They're just trying to leapfrog like, well, this is where we're trying to get to. This is the real problem we're trying to solve. This is the thing we really need to be talking about. Well, I think there's, that's definitely true, but I do think there is also, a politician will avoid a question, will, will dodge it. Um, I think of, you know, like debates or something where they'll be asked a very simple yes or no question. And I think what they're frankly terrified about is going on record, being forced to give a simple answer to a complex question, being forced to prevaricate so they have to go like one way or another. Um, and I do think also in content marketing, there are things that probably scare writers. They don't want to talk about it or they don't know how to talk about it easily or it touches a nerve or they feel like they're, I don't know, ill-equipped to do it. Um, so I think there is both, a, as you're saying, thank you for your question. We want to tell you about this. But I think there's also some of thank you for your question. I don't really know how to answer it directly. So I'm going to weasel around and, and find a different way. Well, the other piece of it too, and this is something I find, especially when I'm talking with someone who is a specialty in a very technical area. And Jason Lindy, you're our paid media specialist. I know you listen to this. I'm sorry I'm about to throw you on the bus, but this is just where we're at. So Jason Lindy is an absolutely brilliant paid media specialist, meaning he just runs Google ad campaigns and YouTube ad campaigns and like that just make money on money on money on money on money. So of course, I'm like, okay, so I want to put you in front of our audience and you, you tell them, like, shake all the good thoughts out of your head and like tell other people how to make the money. Like, how do we do this? So maybe later on they will exchange money for our goods and services. Like, that's really what I want to do with him. But one of the things that I've been working with him on or have worked on with him in the past, and you've seen this in his drafts, 
the usual crime that content creators commit, again, it's like you said, it's not the nefarious politician. They lapse into a language that is not native to their audience. Mm. So sometimes the way this manifests itself is you start talking, he starts writing content as if he's writing to another Google ad specialist. And I sent drafts back to him without any markup saying like, I want you to try this again. But remember, I have literally never been inside a Google ads account in my entire life. Have the people you're talking to likely been in there? Do they understand any of this? No, you've got to start back. You guys, you've got to take this all a step backward. So sometimes what will end up happening is you end up answering different questions because you're op you have yet to mentally calibrate yourself to the point where you realize, oh, not only is this what they're asking, uh, and this is why they're asking it, and this is why they're afraid, nervous, excited, whatever about it. This is the base level of understanding and language they have about the topic. It's kind of like how you can put a single topic in front of two people. Like if we were to create an article that was how to create a content strategy and you were to write it to someone like our CEO, Bob Ruffalo, or you would write it to me, those would be two extremely different articles. The article you would write to Bob, our CEO, would be high level. Let's talk about how to change your business. Let's talk about why you need to embrace this new methodology. Mine would be, okay, so there's new, this new methodology, but let's talk about how to put it into practice. Let's talk about, yes, this is the methodology. This is how it works. But this is, these are the spreadsheets you need. This is how to hold people accountable. This is how to redo it every single month because Bob is going to want you to redo it every single month, whereas Bob doesn't care about all that stuff. Again, how you answer the question is so critically dependent on who is asking the question, why they're asking the question, and the language they use to discuss it. But that's tricky because you have to narrow down any topic to suit. You either have to broaden it to suit both those audiences or narrow it down to suit only one or the other. Oh, and hands down, I'm always going to narrow it because what that means, so that means two things. Number one, you make an incredibly powerful article that is so laser focused on a very specific person with a very specific need set and all those things that like it will unmistakably resonate with that user. It'll stick. It'll be memorable as heck. And it'll also make it easier for your sales team to target. So like if they were to take a piece of content and use it for what we call assignment selling, which is where you take a piece of educational content, a pillar, an article, a video, a whatever, and you give it as a homework assignment during, this, during the sales process. The other thing is that that allows you to come back and revisit a topic multiple times. I do not understand the compulsion to address multiple audiences or have a one-to-many piece when you could just as easily come back to that topic over and over again and do it the right laser focused way. Because that means a salesperson can slide that piece of content and be like, okay, so this is the article for you. This is the article to convince your boss. Because you know what your boss isn't going to want? And you know what nobody else is going to want? Let me blindly feel my way around this dark room of a piece of content to pick out the things that are relevant to me. Always be laser focused. Don't go broad. And as a content manager, you will thank yourself because you will never run out of topics. You can just keep coming back. So part of that laser focus, as you're saying, is related to audience and who's asking the question. Mm 
-hmm. But is there another aspect of that laser focus that has to do with the topic itself? Again, making it um, narrow enough that you don't feel like you're trying to cover the, the whole world. Absolutely. I mean, so whenever I'm working with somebody to plan a piece of content, I take them through an exercise that helps them answer four questions. And that's who, what, why, and how. The exercise can be used at different points. It can be used before some people sit down to write a first draft because John, as you and I both know, some people need outlining, some people don't, but they need at least a moment where they kind of plan out what they're doing, you know, get themselves oriented in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It can also be a precursor to actually creating an outline. So this is the process I take people through when we are developing an initial table of contents for a pillar and then they have to go and write their big outline. This is the process I take them through. Same process I use. I gave this to David Little, one of our salespeople. And you said he came to his interview like super prepared and ready to talk about it. So mm -hmm. like it can be used in a lot of different ways. So you're right. Who is the starting point? It is, it is, it is where you orient your compass so you're pointing in the right direction. So you always have to answer who first. You know, who is this person that's asking? What do they do? Why do they care? Is it causing them pain, fear, friction? If so, why? Is it a goal that they want to accomplish? Is it, if so, is it their goal? Or is it something that they're being told to do? And are they feeling any pressure about this topic from above, like a boss, or below from their team? Or maybe both. Sometimes you get the whole package. But after that, just like you said, we then have to start, okay, so we know who the who is. What is it that we're talking about, right? So you have your topic and I'm trying to think of a good example. Let's say, let's say uh, how much does a website redesign cost, right? So let's just say that's our base topic. So you might think, well, I already know what they want to know. They've already told me the question. Well, that's, that's the start of it. So once you've identified who, then you want to say, okay, well, is that exactly how they would phrase the question? Like, that's the question we wrote down. That's the question we know we want to answer. But if they were sitting across the table from me right now and went, John Becker, is that exactly how they would phrase that question? Would they say, how much does a website redesign cost? Would they say, how much, how much will it take to redesign my business website? You know, what is the exact language that they will use? Because often the way the question you will phrase it will be slightly different. You always, wanna, you always wanna make people see themselves in the words that you're saying. And then after that, it's, okay, well, once you understand the question in their words, what are the follow-up questions they're likely gonna have? Like, what influences cost? What makes it higher? What makes it lower? Where do websites become money pits? How do I know if I want a champagne website on a beer budget? You know, like, all of those little things. <laughs> Then you might want to think about, okay, well, what are the obvious objections or resistances that they might have to anything that you're saying as you start to kind of mentally run through the stuff you want to cover? Salespeople love this part because they are, they are like exceptional predictors. They know every objection they're going to get. Well, I don't want to pay that. Well, why does the content cost so much? Wait, what, why do I have to do it? Wait, you're telling me I can't just get a good website for $5,000? Like, they, you know all of these things. You imagine that who, that one you went so out of your way to define, and you plop them right in front of you, and if you sit there and you close your eyes and you listen, they will tell you all these things. And the last thing I always cap it off with is, 
finish this sentence in their words. If again, I was sitting across from you and I were to say, John, here is exactly what I need from you in order to feel like you have thoroughly answered my question. I need to know how much it costs. I need to know why. I need to know why it's not cheaper. I need to know how to develop my own budget, whatever, whatever that little kind of like laundry list of things is. You know, it's interesting that you brought that up as an example because I've been working on two or maybe even three pieces currently all around website redesigns. And the piece that I was just working on from our VP of revenue was comparing website redesigns to website facelifts. And it was interesting because it starts out by essentially saying that sometimes people are asking, like they might not, they're not asking the question that we think that they're asking. Maybe they are, you know, they're, they're not getting as many leads from their website or something like that, but they might not even know that a website facelift might actually be the solution to their, like they have a problem and they think they know what the solution is, but they might not because we're putting the question in their mouth if we're you know we could be putting the question in their mouth when in fact their question is a precursor to the question that we're putting in their mm -hmm. mouth or their question is you know why are my leads drying up or yeah what do i need to do to fix my website and we might think that they're naturally going to jump towards question you know this next question but in fact uh, that might not be the the correct way to go and, and it was it was interesting uh, this writer, Mel, used um, this analogy of, of redoing a kitchen where, you know, you could completely put in new countertops and, and um, buy a new sink and new appliances and, and your kitchen is essentially the same but it's completely updated and you're doing it for a, a quarter of the cost of actually tearing out everything, redoing the plumbing, redoing the electrical, moving the, kitchen, the sink to another part of the room. Um, and you know we we might not think that we could get a lot of bang for our buck by actually just doing what she was calling a facelift, um, but you can. And if we make assumptions about what the person is actually asking, and we sort of shove the question into their mouth because it fits our agenda, then we've already alienated our audience before we've even begun. Yeah, the analogy I always like to use is like. There was this one time I was walking down a cobblestone street in Baltimore and I like popped my ankle out and it really hurt and I couldn't stand. And I was, I told whom I was with at the time, I said, no, it's fine. I'll just like rub some dirt on it. And he was like, no, no, we need, we need, we need to go to the hospital. We need to go to the hospital. So we show up and the doctor says to me, okay, what's wrong? And I articulate my problem as, my ankle hurts and I can't walk on it and it's swollen like a little balloon and I don't want it to hurt anymore. So what do I have to do to make it like unhurt? And in his mouth, the way that comes out is cure all of the little tiny bones you fractured in your ankle. These are all the very technical names for it. And the actual solution is going to be this. That. Like, again, it's that, it's that lack of shared language. The funny thing is though, is that you can get there. Like you can start an article from a place of like, well, this is the question they're asking and you can acknowledge it validate it, explain why they have the question, talk to them about like, okay, so if you're asking this question, what we're really asking is, and explain why that's the real question, and then you can dive into it. But you can okay. also create, you know, articles that are a different stage. Like you may have someone where it's like, 
they're farther down the process, they're farther down the funnel. So you may end up having a comparison article where it's like website redesign versus website facelift, which one is right for you, because they already understand that distinction. Right. You know, so it's it's about really being aware of like where are you starting that conversation. Hmm. Okay, so that's covers who is asking the question and what they want to know. So you said next is why? Yes. That's why. This is my favorite question because I think it's always the one that people overlook the most and it's what results symptomatically in boring introductions that start with in the ever-changing world of blank, ever-changing <laughs> world of website redesigns or as we all know. And it also is the thing where if you do it correctly, it will help you know exactly what you need to write in introductions, conclusions. It's what, it's what will make your, it's what will take your content from pretty good to outstanding, memorable, great. So why is me looking, me being that person again, that who you identified at the beginning and going, so John Becker, why should I listen to you? Why are you so qualified to talk about this? Like that's, this is where we start building that trust, right? Because when you have a, someone asking you a question and they tell you what they want to know, they also want to be like, so wait, why are you qualified? What is the reason why I should be listening to anything that you have to say right now? And so this is where you get to brag a little. Usually what ends up in this bucket is just a few things, but I usually like to tell people to go as deeply as possible so they have as much to choose from as possible. So why you is, what specific area of expertise or experience do you have in this topic? Have you dealt with a lot of business leaders who have had a lot of broken websites? Have you watched a lot of people spend too much money on a website? Have you been a business owner yourself who had to redesign your website? Like, what is that basis of knowledge that makes you the qualified expert here? The other thing I like to have people ask is, okay, so do you have any stories or personal anecdotes or specific to you examples? Like, things that could have only come from you. Whether that's, this is a very specific story I want to tell about a very specific client or prospect, or, you know, this is something that happened to me. This is a conversation I had. Anything that is yours and yours alone. Um, I also like to challenge people, are you sure this isn't something you haven't been through yourself? Because if you can ever create a moment where you can say, I know exactly how you feel, you've got them. Right. There is nothing more than an audience wants, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what product or service you sell. If somebody is coming to you with a question as your ideal buyer, the number one thing they want is to feel seen and truly understood. When you answer why you correctly, why you're so qualified, John Becker, why should I be listening to you? If you do that right, you've got it. And it allows you to figure out, is this where I want to start the story? Are these examples that I want to bring up later? This allows you to develop all of that little color, all of those little details that really contextualize how you're going to answer this question. But it's interesting because we started off with this conflict between what we need to write and what we want to write or what we, I don't know. What comes out more easily. Yeah. Uh, so are people hesitant to take it in that direction? Are people hesitant to, to do the why you? Does that not come naturally? I think when I explain it at first, until people put it in practice, they think it's a little confusing. But if you go out of your way and you don't skip, 
Like you don't start with why you. That's where people get into trouble. They try to answer like the you column first and that doesn't work. Like you can't answer that question first. But if you've just spent all that time, like we've been discussing, talking about who and the what from this perspective of that very specific who, the why you is a reflex. Well, it's like, well, okay, I know exactly what they want from me and I know when they're, like imagine, like Vin Gaeta, who is our VP of marketing, wrote that website redesign cost article, right? So if he were to have run through this exercise and he knew exactly who he was talking to, this, the level of detail we want in that answer of what do they want to know. By the time you get to why, it's like, well, that's obvious. I, I've built like hundreds of business websites. I was our creative director for years. In fact, I have like these like very specific stories that talk about sticker shock or somebody who wanted this, but they wanted that or somebody who didn't understand why like this could create, like this is where, you know, website costs can go like balloon and get very big. If you wait to answer why you, you are able to basically put the boundaries of your sandbox in, you know, exactly what are the things that you're going to be talking about. You're not going to end up with a laundry list. Like if I were to go here and it's like, how to create a content strategy, and I immediately started with why you, it would just be a laundry list of qualifications. But if it's like, if it's a content manager who's never done it before, and that's the who, so they're scared, they're being told to build it for the first time, their boss is leaning on them, they're like, yes, I'm so excited to do this, but inside they're like dying because they're like, I've never done this, I don't have a framework, I don't know what I'm doing. So what do they want to know? Liz, I need to do it. I need to do it right the first time. I need to know every step, not just the theory. I need you to like give everything to me. My why you becomes very different from, oh, I've built a bunch of strategies. It starts with, oh, I've been you. Um, in fact, there's this very specific story about one night I had to stay up for four hours trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, I have sales breathing down my neck about this. And I have my boss breathing down my neck about this. And I have like all of these conflicting priorities. And I have a spreadsheet that is like, oh my God, why did I build this? This is awful. Like I have been them and then also created my own process in order to solve that problem. So, Hey, John Becker, you don't worry. I got you. I've been you. I know where you we've been. We're going to shorten that learning curve. We're going to learn how to do this together. And by the time you get to the bottom of this article, breathe easy. Your bosses will love you. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. So that's three out of four quadrants. How is the easy one? Okay. That's the easy Talk one. To me. So at this point, you know who is asking the question and why they are feeling the way that you've identified that they're feeling about this topic. You know exactly what they would say to you if they were sitting across from table from you and being like, okay, dude, here's exactly what I need to know. I know you have your agenda, but this is what I need. You now also know, oh, uh, this is exactly like, this is the brain dump of everything I could possibly think of that makes me qualified to talk about this. How becomes simple. All you do is then sit there and say, okay, let's go back to our, um, let's go back to our how to create a content strategy example. How will I help is essentially a list of the thing, like the, the, my checklist. That's what I really create here. It's not a lot of sentences. It's not a lot of story. It's like, these are all the running list of items that I need to hit. I'm like, okay, so how am I going to help? Okay. I'm going to make them feel less alone by explaining. I know how they feel. I'm probably going to tell that story. Uh, I'm going to explain to them exactly what they're getting out of this article, all of the pieces that they're going to get that by the end of this, they're just going to breathe a sigh of relief. Okay. So then I'm going to need to explain what goes into a content strategy, how you balance, balance differing priorities, 
I should give them the template because um, if I really, if I'm looking at what do they want to know, that's what I have to do. I have to give them the template because otherwise they can't execute it. Uh, I probably then need to explain, all right, so I need to explain how to use the template. And actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I need to explain how this goes wrong. Uh, I should probably talk to them about when they present us to leadership, how often they should be included, and when they should be refreshing it. Like, that's the thing. You just mentally run through it. Because once you've done all of the legwork of the who and the what and the why, you just start mentally putting that together. And you're like, well, if I have to do this, then I have to do that. Okay, if I have to do that, then I have to do this. You just kind of run down the list. And then probably what I'll do is I'll get to the end and say, so how do I want to wrap this up? If I know that person is sitting there going like, oh my gosh, she just dumped all this stuff on my lap. Okay, they're probably going to want to know what the very first baby step is to take. Mm -hmm. I probably should tell them, okay, I know I gave you a lot. This is a lot and it's scary and you're feeling more empowered, but you also feel like I gave you more homework. So all you need to do is start with this one thing. You do this one thing and you do it right and you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And if not, here's my email. You can yell at me. Like, you know, so that, that's how will you help? How will you help is the mental laundry list of once you've shoved the answers of who, what, and why into your brain, that'll just fall out if you, and it sounds crazy because you don't have a voice in your head, but that's how I think about it. It's like, you listen, yeah. you, you mentally listen, the list will fall out. Well, it's funny because you, you, you think of this and you present this as, as steps almost, but how will you help seems so closely tied to who is asking mm -hmm. uh, that, that it feels very circular. Like if you, if you need to know how to help, like go back to remember who's mm -hmm. asking this question, what they need from you, you know, what, what, is the, what are their takeaways? Yeah. So who, what, and why are your raw materials? Those are all of the things based on their very specific questions and how will you help is essentially like, okay, so now that you know all that, what you gonna do, chump? Time to pony up. Like now it's time to answer. That's where the answer falls out. So is this uh, this template that you described today, um, is this available for people to access? It is, and it will be in the show notes. Um, if you're going to the Virtual Selling Summit, which I highly recommend, it's on June 23rd, uh, I'm doing a topic that is for sales pros and subject matter experts who, let's face it, you know you need to create content and you want the content to appear but you don't want to do it because it sucks and it takes work and you just stare at a like blank document and that's what this solves i created this because people just needed a process to sit down and mentally hash this out without staring at a blank screen and the cool thing about this process is it can take as long as you want it to with some big pieces of content, it'll take me about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or I'm sitting down to write an article and I'm like, I just need to mentally run through these questions. Right. It'll take me like two minutes. It's just a good little quick exercise that brings everybody right back around to it. But yes, I'll be talking about it at length in my talk. The article will be linked in the show notes that has the template ungated. You're welcome. You don't have to give me your email. Just like take it and like stop creating crap content. That's all I want. All I just want people to remember is that for the love of all that is holy, you need to start talking to your audience in their language on their terms. And I know, again, it sounds crazy. Close your eyes. Imagine they are sitting across from you. You've had these conversations a thousand times before. It's why you were the person who was asked to write this article, be interviewed about it, 
what have you. Listen. They will tell you what they want. And then all you have to do is give it to them. And that's it. Done. End of story. And like do it in a way that's memorable and fun. Like only you could have written it. That's what the YU is for. Don't skip it. So what if people feel like the who is just this big anonymous mass out there and they can't figure out how to narrow it down into a specific person? This is a common problem I run into a lot. And there is a fun little exercise that I, I feel validated because while I did not steal it from her, it turned out we both used the same trick. Anne Hanley, the author of Everybody Writes and who is the, the founder behind Marketing Profs, um, fabulous pantsuit wearer, just all around good cow, <laughs> love Anne. Um, she and I share the same trick, which is pick a person you actually know and write it to them. So for example, every issue of the latest, uh, our email newsletter that I write three times a week, I actually write the introduction to a specific person. I always have somebody in my mind that I'm writing to, a coworker, a client that I know we have, sometimes a friend, depends on what the scope is. But for a more practical use case, um, Jess Palmieri, who is on our HubSpot Hub Squad, she recently wrapped up writing a pillar on what is digital marketing. And when she first came to me and we started working through this exercise, she was really struggling to zone in, to hone in on a who that would get her speaking the right language, that right level of education, level of understanding, because that would mentally tell her, well, these are the things that I need to teach, right? Because if you know where somebody's base language is and you need to level up their language, it'll tell you a lot about what you need to be talking about. So that was her homework. And she came back the next time we met and said, I figured out who I wanted to talk to. And I said, who is it? And she's like, I wrote this to my dad. He's really smart. He's a business guy, but digital is just not his wheelhouse. And if I think about who is asking what is digital marketing, it's not, the, it's not someone like me who already knows. It's someone like my dad who's really smart and just needs it explained. Yeah. And it totally changed the positioning and tone of the article or the pillar, like completely drastically overhauled because the first couple of sections that she had tried it out with, they were, I wasn't sure who she was writing to. I wasn't sure like the level of expertise that she was displaying in her answers and in the content was matching someone who would never in a million years ask what is digital marketing. And so that is a recommendation I give to people. If you're really struggling, or in fact, you should do it even if you're not struggling, like you've identified this who, pick someone you know who is similar to that. Like I sometimes, when I'm coaching people, will say like, okay, Jason Lindy, write this to me. Write it to someone like me. Imagine me and you know exactly everything I'm going to be like, I don't understand what that means. And what are you talking about? And sometimes you don't want to do it because you realize you'll sometimes create a little bit more work for yourself, but it's what you got to do, man. Yeah. Find your who and then get specific. hearing my own voice so teach me something I want to learn something bring me to your learning corner
Welcome to the Learning Corner, Liz. Uh, this is a pretty easy one, but I think it's something that is mixed up pretty often, mm -hmm. uh, which is just how we delineate a title in something that we write. Mm -hmm. So general convention is that if you have the title of something, like something big, like a book or a series or uh, you know a show, something like that, um, a movie, those titles are uh, should be italicized. Now there's there's like an older convention that they should be underlined, and that's mm -hmm. really like from like typewritten days or handwriting. Do we don't need to do that. Um, so italicize major titles. Um, but then if you're talking about something smaller, like a chapter or like an episode or um, you know something that still has a title but falls within something bigger, then that would go in quotation marks. So chapter of a book, um, quotation marks, title of the book in um, in italics. Ooh, I like that one. It just always frustrates me when I see underlining still. Like if you're still putting underlining in any of your content right now, like what are you doing? Sometimes, sometimes people like bold it or something like it. Just no, no, just please don't. That's so awful. Uh, so Liz, to wrap up, what are you reading right now? So I have been, okay. So I already told you this, it's a little bit of cheating. So I've been reading um, a lot of my boy, my favorite, my guy, my number one literary boo, Ernest Hemingway. We've talked about him before. You listen. Oh God, I love him. Ernest, I'm thinking of you. Um, I've been rereading The Sun Also Rises, which is my favorite book by him. Um, it, I always find it funny as an aside that um, critics loved it. And his friends were like, dude, you literally just put all of us on blast. Like his friends were so mad at him. Like you made us look like sex obsessed, self-indulgent monsters. And it's like, well, you were, but like, sorry. <laughs> anyway, Hemingway is an incredible writer for a number of reasons. Number one, which everybody knows, like he will just punch you to the back of a wall with just like one single sentence. Like give him four words and he's pinning you to the floor and you'll just be like, oh damn, dude, that was, that was heavy and deep and these words are just gonna be etched into my soul forever. But he also had this fantastic theory called the iceberg theory of story writing. The iceberg theory is pretty simple in that think about an iceberg. You don't see most of it but the stuff you don't see is what makes it so gosh darn powerful. Like the Titanic didn't sink because of a little floating ice pebble in the ocean. It was this big behemoth monster where most of it was under water. So Ernest Hemingway liked to use this theory in his writing where most of the story is hidden. You don't know all the details. There is a book, and you and I were discussing this at the beginning. I'm not going to get into the details of it, but there is a section where a man and a woman are fighting. And when you find out later what they're actually fighting about, it adds a whole different color and context. So in practice, the iceberg theory looks like this. A person will tell you a story, and they will give you a very limited scope or set of details. They may later on unveil those details. They also may not, but that level of storytelling is something I was, I was telling you earlier, I've been working with a couple of people at our company and teaching them this process of personal stories can be exceptionally powerful. 
But the problem is, is similar to what we were talking about earlier, we'll get very selfish and self-involved. When we tell a personal story that's meant to relate to a topic or a question that we're trying to answer for our ideal buyer, we then accidentally end up treating that piece of content like a diary. You know, like it was a Tuesday. I was wearing a green sweater. It was my favorite <laughs> sweater. And like that doesn't work. You have to be very structured and very specific about what details of a story you give and when, if ever. Because the most powerful stories, the ones that really land with your audience, make them feel seen, make them feel understood, make create that moment of, he's a mind reader, he gets me, oh my God, tell me more. Yes, you are my new best friend, let's go shopping. Like when you create those moments, it comes from the moment of you have created a story that is so perfectly calibrated, perfectly trimmed, that you lead with the most emotional points and it almost feels like their own story. So my favorite example, and we're going to do a dramatic reading Ooh. from the Ask You Answer second edition. One of my favorite things to ask people because they think, well, telling personal stories, it's crap. You don't really need to do it. You can jump over. You can equally tell a story more effectively, but just jumping right to it. I always like to ask people, what is the first chapter of the Ask You Answer? A book that is 300 some odd pages, 325 pages. And doo -doo 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 -doo. going to the table of contents, about 315, 312 of those are all super tactical content strategy, breaking it out, how it works, case studies. People always forget that the first chapter is a very personal story. I'm going to read it because I think this is what makes this book work. I could feel the anxiety and sense of hopelessness start to overcome me. Like every night at this time, driving home from a long day of work, I dialed my phone and waited for the bank's automated system to tell me what our company's checking account balance was. With heart racing, the response was not surprising. Overdrawn. Why was I even checking at this point? Our company bank account had been overdrawn for the past two weeks. For some reason, though, I still dialed that stupid number and held out a faint hope that we were in a better situation than what reality had demonstrated. After hanging up the phone and feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders, I started to cry. I was 31 years old. My business was a failure. My family life was suffering. And for a guy who sees himself as a problem solver, I was out of answers. So the tears kept flowing. I knew that when I arrived home in a few minutes, my wife, Nikki, would likely not even ask me the standard question, so how was work today? You see, some questions in life are better off not being asked. My wife understood that. She got, she'd gotten used to seeing the strain in my eyes and the worry in my countenance. The pain was self-evident. Such was the life of a pool guy in January 2009. That's how he opens the book. And then he later goes on to reveal in a much more structured fashion what he did, what his business was, all of those little different pieces that kind of add color, explain why he had gotten to that moment. But it's a single page. Nobody can see me doing this, but I'll put a screenshot of it, or I'll take a picture of it and put it in the show notes. But that opener is what I am convinced is what every small business owner who picked up this book read, and that's what bought them into the remaining 300 some pages. That moment where he said, he could have easily said, hey, you know, I had a business in 2009 
Uh, we all did. We all know the Great Recession. But guess what? I found this like really great content strategy to save my business. <laughs> it, let's go right into the big five because this is the stuff that people care about. And I did a bunch of data. No. What he did was he created a moment where he brought every single business owner who had had that moment, that universal moment of my business is like, he created this moment where he showed like, I know what it's like to almost lose my business. Not just be afraid of it, not just be afraid, oh, we might reach the cliff. I have been there, I have been you, or I have been what you're afraid of. He immediately created that moment of, got you. That's how you do it. And I thought that was a really masterful way of doing the iceberg theory. In some cases, you may not ever get the rest of the story. I wrote an article about a Patsy Cline song that I really like. I talked about my mother, how she like raised me on Patsy Cline. And then I talked about the moment where I realized this very specific song, like why was it so resonant with me? And it like opened, it cracked open this whole idea about like, well, this is what storytelling is really about. It's not as hard as you think it is. You don't need to actually be Hemingway in order to do it well. You just need to say the right things. You need to say the right words, the right thoughts. But the story I told about myself was, it was a day in January, it was raining, I was sad. A guy had put my heart through a meat grinder and I was listening to She's Got You and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. I actually never tell you who the guy is. I never tell you, well, it turned out he was really hot, but also kind of jerk. Like, I don't get into like, oh, it was like raining, but it was like the cold rain and like, it really looked pretty outside. And I always go along the same route in my neighborhood. And you know, this is what I was wearing. And I was actually kind of annoyed because like I got in the car and I was like wet and I was soggy. Like none of those details ever come out. You actually never even know whether or not it got resolved because it wasn't pertinent to the story. Right. The story I wanted to tell is we all have that moment where somebody says something and it sticks and it never goes away. You know, and it's interesting. I think the more gaps that you, that you leave in, the more holes that you leave in are the more places that the reader can fill themselves into that story. Mm -hmm. And like you said, make the story their own. You want to bring people close to you. You want to feel like they're sitting next to you, but you want them to feel like it's theirs. Right. But you have to give enough detail to in some ways make the story your own. You want them to feel like they can be in your story, but you also don't want to have them overshadow that moment of, oh, he's a person, he also gets it, or she gets it, or whomever, you know. So that's the reading. The reading is they ask you answer. I'm going to put it in the show notes for this week. I would also encourage everybody to start when they start reading things and people put in anecdotes. Notice the stories that land for you and also notice the stories that don't and ask yourself how much detail was left in that couldn't, that maybe shouldn't have been there. Do you know that old story about Hemingway saying he could write a novel in six words? Yes. I love that. Hemingway was, it was a beast. Everybody should read more Hemingway. And with that, I think we've wrapped up another really good episode, although I talked a lot. No, I'm you. I'm glad my next meeting is not talking. You taught a lot. You didn't. You didn't. Uh, <laughs> you didn't teach a. Yeah, you didn't talk a lot. You taught a lot. I love All it. All right, thank you, Liz, uh, and thanks everybody for listening. Bye bye.